1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this morning's show. I do hope you have that funny little purple mark on your left thumb to prove that you voted yesterday. Um, I hope you didn't have to face any of any problems that you weren't unexpectedly you weren't on the voters' roll. Um, or the process wasn't being managed fast enough. There seemed to have been complaints on that score. And you would have probably seen that Helen Zilla experienced her own problems being escorted out of a voting station by a strongman. Quite interesting to read her explanation of events in this morning's uh, politics web. But since the elections are the topic and have to be the topic of the day of the week, we, um, my, I'm going to discuss it with my guest uh, at uh, 20 past nine. And even though not all the results have come in, some interesting trends and facts have, have materialized to this point, and uh, no one better than uh, Marius Root to look into that. Perhaps I'll just look at the other major story, and that is COP26. Um, now, COP26 is, is huge. It's, uh, it runs over two weeks, and it has 25,000 delegates. Although a comment from one uh, um, climate expert was that they most of the people don't really need to be there and that it is unlikely that any, that there are going to be any agreements reached that are, would be considered meaningful to most people, particularly not meaningful in terms of the, the, uh, let's be honest, the hysteria that's been driven over the uh, climate change debate. I mean, it's been referred to, I think Joe Biden referred to it as a raging around the globe and a catastrophe and it just To my, to what I've understood, it just isn't as either severe as it's made out to be, nor is it capable of being dealt with that quickly. And we also have the problem of the fact that mankind is going to have to deal with something it doesn't have full control over. Um, So those are all factors to bear in mind. I see there was, there's been agreement that the world will reforest Deforested areas by 2030, which is quite impressive. But I, I understand as well from a, from a figure I read that in that Eastern Europe areas, parts of Russia, parts of Eastern Europe that were deforested during the communist era, have reforested to the extent that would be equivalent to the deforested areas of the Amazon. So it seems, to some extent, um, just letting you know not doing anything further stupid and just letting nature take its course things do rectify of course the question then asked is if the world is reforested by 2030 and I'm not sure what reforested is actually meant to mean because is it forests that's that have disappeared are they being recreated or is it additional forests because they're those two they're man-made forests and Johannesburg is an example of it but of course that for greenery and plants to thrive and for the soil to thrive they need to absorb carbon dioxide, which is what we are trying to uh, get away from as far as climate change as far as raising the temperature by one point zero percent sorry 1.05 degrees go on get my number one point five degrees um the the commentators who tend to, you know, have no believe that climate change is an issue, but uh, that it's there are no easy, quick or easy fixes. You just have to really strive to do what what makes sense. Is that the the first world is really not taking enough account of the need for the developing world to develop, and that on renewable energy alone, it can nowhere begin to do that. And and listen and listen until. The, renew- the ability to provide renewables or, solar en- or sorry nuclear energy is such, that the developing world is going to have to depend on coal, and when this this means China and this also means India and China seems to vacillate on the extent to which it will reduce carbon emissions. Um, China apparently now accounts for. 28 um, percent of global emissions of carbon dioxide against 23 percent nice, for the united states and the european union combined um there it's it's simply that has although the, the uh, uh china has said it will no longer finance new coal fired power in other countries it is building for its own use more coal fired plants than exists in the entire united states of america so the the uh, politics around this is very murky and uh, contradictory and in india i think the indians have said uh, they're pushing it out to, to, to th- 2050, I think, and these are very big populations, and these are populations that are not going to sacrifice. Understandably, are not going to sacrifice development for the atmosphere. So, in reality, COP26, the, the meeting between between countries, is not really likely to come up with with all that much. Um, quite an interesting point one commentator made, and that, that sometimes. A tendency to confuse climate with weather, and the point I think he was making is that the extreme weather events that occur, such as flooding and droughts, et etc et etc, are not absolute, do not absolutely tie up with the changes to the climate and I think that is something we 've got to be aware of and because they're very emotive you know you see these events on television um, doesn 't necessarily mean they're happening more than than they have in the past but they do give you a, a sort of graphic view of what climate change may be looking like when it's much more subtle than that. So it, it's, 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 it's worrying because the, the, uh, the hysteria surrounding it is likely to have negative effects because the action cannot meet the expectations. And I think it was somebody in Insulate Britain, which is a group that wants the government to pay for insulating every house in Britain to cut the need for, for uh, for expenditure on 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 power um with largely older people saying we've got two years now if we've got two years we're in we're already in trouble
0: hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of race relations the IRR show. Independent, relevant and real is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights.
1: Right, and on to our elections and to help me unpack everything that is going on and what effect it will have on us. I'd like to introduce you to my colleague, Marius Root, Deputy Editor of our Daily Friend Opinion Portal and can, can, Payne's Consultant. Maria, Marius, do I have you? Hi, okay. How's it? Marius, I know it's a little bit uh, early to talk about how the results are panning out, but can I just start by asking you about what made this election different? What, what, were, what were the issues underlying the intense interest in these elections?
0: Well, I think uh, there's a couple of things. I think uh, lots of people are probably starting to realise that the new dawn is, isn't is really a new dawn. It's more of an old sunset. And we're probably seeing the DA do... Well, sorry, the DA. The ANC uh, seems to be getting a bloody nose in uh, some places. Uh, its uh, it support uh, is, I think, fairly... It's still going to win uh, the majority of municipalities in South Africa, but uh, there are going to be far more coalitions around, I think. And mm-hmm. other things, I think, uh, to look out for are how the... Freedom Front Plus are going to eat into uh, DA support. It doesn't seem to actually – they do certainly seem to be losing some support to the Freedom Front Plus, but not as not quite as much as some people have been predicting. And uh, in Khateng and Joburg especially, uh, the Action SA, Hrm party, seems to be doing pretty well at, at the moment, uh, with uh, only a few – only about 10 percent of results in. Uh, so it's not that much. It's a bit early to make a call on that, though. But the Action SA is already on 20%. And it seems it's, uh, one of few voting districts, uh, of the ANC in Soweto. So it does seem that some people are speculating that the DA could suffer from Action SA and Joburg and Equilani and Chwane, but it looks like it's actually, uh, the ANC who could be, uh, losing support to, uh, Action SA. So overall, um, the, uh, and w- w- one thing to look out for is also the ANC going under 50% of uh, the votes um, nationally. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, this is a local election, so this won't mean anything for, for uh, national governments. But I think it's a very important uh, psychological barrier for the ANC if that happens. At the moment, also with uh, about twenty percent of uh, uh, votes in districts reporting, just so mm-hmm. early days. But at the moment, the ANC is on forty-six percent of total votes uh, counted in mm-hmm. South Africa, with the with the DA on twenty-five percent. Mm-hmm. So there's still a long way to go, and a lot can still change. But if it stays like this, then it's I think it's, uh, could reflect, uh, what, in America, they always talk about realigning elections. And this could be possibly, that, uh, that for South Africa.
1: Mm. I mean, just to pick up on the point about the ANC dropping below 50 percent, I mean, overall national and local in the past elections, the ANC has always been above 50 percent, sometimes to a fair degree over 60 percent and and more. What is the significance in in general political terms about going below 50? Uh, I mean, it doesn't sound very much because some of the areas it's kind of, you know, 47, 48 Uh, Other areas, it's quite considerably, quite considerably more. Um, We've never seen this before.
0: No, well, uh, as you say, uh, since um, in post pilot South Africa, uh, the ANC has never got below 50% in election. That's previous worst result was the uh, previous local government election in 2016 when it won 53% of uh, the vote. So as I said, this won't, uh, uh, if the ANC gets under 50% in this election, it won't mean anything for uh, you know, uh, seats in parliaments, but I think it's a, a very important uh, psychological blow against the ANC. Mm-hmm. And I think the ANC will have to start thinking about uh, how it's going to govern uh, in a coalition in the future. Uh, the, the Institute of Race Relations has uh, said for some time that the ANC is likely to lose its national majority in 2024. And this mm-hmm. does seem like it's uh, going to be the case. So uh, it's it's going to be some interesting times ahead for South Africa. We've already seen mm-hmm. how coalitions at municipal level often seem to be quite chaotic. Some places coalitions seem to work fairly well. Uh, there's in Limpopo. Uh, there's a municipality that's uh, quietly, uh, sorry, I sorry, I forget which municipality is exactly. I'll check for you now. But there's a municipality it has been governed by the DA with the EFF, and they've quietly gone about their work. They've you know governed since 2016. There hasn't been this chaos we've seen in places like Thuanie mm-hmm. and Nelson Mandela Bay. And that is the issue that's going to have to happen when South Africa does start having uh, coalition politics at national level and at in the various provinces. We're going to have to, uh, South African parties are going to have to reach a level of political maturity we haven't seen to date mm. because coalitions mean parties have to put aside certain differences, have to work together to govern. And unfortunately, we haven't seen that, uh, as I say, in various municipalities where there's been all kinds of chaos and horse training and people, you know, not, not governing for uh, the people in the area, yeah. but rather for themselves on so on. Uh, sorry, that municipality, which has been governed as far as I know, in a, a coalition is Moro in in uh, mm. Limpopo. So right. that's been between, also between uh, the BA, EFF, and Freedom Front Plus, I think it is, who have been mm. governing together in their municipality, And so they've gone quietly long about their work. There hasn't been this kind of chaos we've seen in other municipalities. And unfortunately, the if we look at what's been happening in South Africa before, the, we, we're going to see far more coalitions this time, I think, but that could mm. also be, a, be an issue for governance because, as I said, there's so much uh, infighting and chaos in these municipalities. I mean, as I ask a resident of China or Nelson Mandela Bay or Johannesburg as well, what happens when you get uh, coalitions is, you know, the service delivery kind of falls the, uh, uh, goes towards the back burner. So that's something we, we're going to need a new level of political maturity in South Africa because coalition politics is something we're going to have to get used to. And you know, 2024 is probably we're going to have a coalition government national level. We'll definitely have one by 2029. Mm. And after that, it'll be, probably it'll be a long time before we see a, a political party, you know, get above 50% of the vote nationally speaking. I think Germany, which had a recent election is a good example of that. They've basically been governing coalitions since the end of World War II mm. and they've had to work together and be mature about it. And I think that's something uh, South Africans could learn from uh, the Germans is how to be mature and how to govern in a coalition. But as I say, unfortunately, I'm not sure our political parties are at that level of maturity
1: yet. Yeah. No, I don't think they are. But what's interesting from what you're saying is it sounds like in the smaller towns, uh, in the areas that don't get a lot of uh, media attention, um, the, the maturity is starting to grow there. From what you say about Modemole and, and similar places, the, it's, it's almost as if like in the big metros you have lost lots of, of chest thumping and that's where politics can be seen to be exercised in the most in, in the most muscular way, and as a result, not much really gets done on behalf of the people, as you said. Um, I just want to ask you about uh, Nelson Mandela Bay, because people are saying that this may be the most interesting, um, one of the most, most interesting districts to watch. And that is, I mean, I, my, my information may now be a bit out of date. It, it changes every second. But when I looked this morning, it had the, the ANC on 42% roughly and the DA on 37%. That's. I mean, I'd be surprised if 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 the if the DA overtook the ANC, but that margins that margin does mean the possible coalition would. Oh, see has just dropped a bit. Uh, That does mean the coalitions excluding the ANC have have a possibility, depending on how the small parties come out.
0: Well, yeah. uh, Your uh, Nelson Nelson Mandela Bay is ANC is on about forty four percent at the moment, DA at thirty seven percent. Uh, in uh, 2016, uh, the DA actually did very well in Nelson Mandela Bay. They, they got 47% of the vote. Oh, okay. They were actually the uh, leading party. The ANC got about 41%, I think. And we know what happened in Nelson Mandela Bay. Um, the, that, that municipality has 120 seats on its council, and the DA managed 57. So you obviously need 61 to get a majority. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they uh, – initially they had a coalition with the UDM, which had two seats, and I think ACDP and COPE. But
1: mm-hmm. then –
0: that soon became, uh, also a bit chaotic and a bit of a mess. Uh, 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 guy from the UDM, I forget his first name, but his surname was Bobani. He became the uh, deputy mayor of, uh, Nelson Mandela Bay under Ethel Trollope from the DA. But the, also soon there was fighting between Trollope and Bobani and it just became a mess. Bobani was actually the mayor of the, the city for a while. Uh, the ANC actually supported him to become the mayor and they were just, all kinds of chaos. There was just, uh, you know, collapse in service delivery. And I, this is what we're going to see again this time. There's no ways that either of these parties are going to get a, um, a majority. I still too mm-hmm. uh, early to say that it could well be that the DA overtakes the NC, mm-hmm. but it's still a bit early to say to see what happens. But I mean, it's inevitable. There's definitely going to be a coalition in Nelson Mandela Bay. There's almost definitely going to be coalitions in Jansberg, China and Ekuleni and even Etagwini from uh, uh, DA people seem quite confident that they're going to bring the ANC under 50% in Etagwini. So but I think a, a large problem is that the, after ANC, the two largest parties in South Africa, obviously the DA and the EFF, and we know that they work together in Tshwane, and Joburg and a couple of other places to keep the ANC out, but there's such an ideological gulf between the two. Mm. It's mm. actually quite hard for them to work together. They're, they're, the worldview of the parties and, to a lesser degree, their supporters probably are just so fundamentally opposed. It's quite hard for these parties to work together, I think. But mm. it's also at the same time, uh, local government isn't about your ideological point of view or, you know, what your worldview is. It's about getting uh, uh, services to residents. And I mm. think this is what people lose sight of, uh, including politicians who, you know, are, um, who are running uh, various municipalities. And I think, yeah, as I said, it all comes down to political maturity and I'm not sure that South African parties have that at the moment. Uh, just mm. talking uh, about coalitions, I think uh, a good point for coalitions in South African political history is looking at Cape Town in 2006 when mm. uh, Helen Zeller, she uh, cobbled together a coalition, I think it was of uh, seven parties mm. in Cape Town in 2006. The DA won 42% of the vote. And then they had to get uh, support of all these small parties to keep the ANC and then the independent Democrats out. And Helen Zilla, whatever you may think of her now, she did an excellent job there. And Cape Town went from being the most competitive metro in 2006 to being the least competitive only 10 years later, in 2016. In 2016, the DA won nearly 70% of the votes in Cape Town, nearly doubling from the 42% it won in 2006. So it tells you if a party can cobble together a coalition and run it well, then it can be a springboard for it to gain in support and so on. But as I say, we've seen in... Uh, since 2016, in lots of places where there have been coalitions, there's just been such chaos. And obviously, that's that's uh, harmed the residents, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Politicians have still been pulling their salaries and whatever. It's the residents who are not getting their rubbish collected, not getting water, not getting roads paved, not having houses built and whatever the case is. So, yeah, we're going to have to see what's going to happen in the next couple of, couple of days. I think it's going to be very interesting. I think there's still, uh, you know, into the next month, we're going to be hearing lots of horse trading between um, various political parties to build coalitions and um, the issue that we had in uh, 2016 where the two main parties of the ANC, the DA and EFF, are probably going to be again in good positions to put together coalitions, keep the ANC out Mm. but we're still going to have the exact same problem we had in 2016 where these two parties are so diametrically opposed to each other in terms of their worldview and ideology and the vision they have for South Africa that we're going to see it's going to be a lot of infighting and I think we're going to see Yeah, it's going to be a while, I think, before there are lots of municipalities in South Africa that actually do have a government put in place. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, some cynics would maybe say they might be better. Maybe not having government might be better for a lot of places in the country.
1: (laughs) I think the problem uh, with municipalities, well, it's actually the same applies across the board, but certainly I interviewed a DA councillor last week on what it's like. How, how the municipality actually works, you know, literally the, the people who work. It. And your civil servants are, are separate from the people who are sitting on the council who've been voted in. Your civil servants are, are, are not the people you have voted in. So to a large extent, your councillors depend on the goodwill, hard work, and uh, 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 preparedness to apply their very best for the citizenry to get it done. If they're not, if they're not inclined to that, they can, have, they can have a lot of trouble actually getting the changes that need to be made.
0: Yeah, I think that is a problem. Um, uh, I think lots of people who are appointed to certain positions are often uh, loyal to loyalists to certain political parties, whether it's the DA or the ANC or whatever the mm-hmm. case may be. And often they might, uh, you know, uh, try to retard progress of uh, a municipality, especially if it's a party that they not uh, that they're not a supporter of. But that mm-hmm. said, I do think there are lots of people who do work in our municipalities and various government departments who do work hard. And I'm prepared to put aside their political differences with uh, the politicians that are running their particular metro, or whatever the mm-hmm. cases. But I do think that is an issue. But I think something that is concerning. I think so many of our metros have now been run so poorly over the last mm-hmm. 20 years, or whatever the cases. Doesn't matter who comes to power. It's going to be such. It'll be very difficult to put the metro back on track to ensure that there's enough money in the coffers to pay for what needs to be done. Uh, look it's obviously it's not impossible but it'll take a lot of hard work mm. and it's going to take you You have to get the correct people in place to do that mm. and yeah uh, I think we're going to have to wait to see what happens over the next as the results come in mm. and uh, we'll just have to see what happens and hope that the right people who can't fix the various municipalities do do get put into power but it's yeah, so we, we've got a long way to go still in this election. But I think uh, overall, uh, I think we are seeing a decline in ANC support. And uh, I think the DA is actually holding fairly steady. They're probably going to use yeah. a bit to people like the Freedom Front and so on.
1: Yeah.
0: But I think the main story of this election is going to be uh, the ANC losing support. And the other thing that I haven't mentioned is the very low votes turnout.
1: Yes, if I was going like
0: to ask about moment. It. Yeah, we only have about only about 30% of registered voters turned out, which is even if we take uh, and if we look at the proportion of voters who turned out out of all eligible South Africans, so that's everybody mm. who's over the age of 18. I don't know the numbers at hand, but it was probably close than to 20% of people who are eligible to vote who actually turned out. That's including registered voters and non registered voters. So that is also actually very concerning. That means mm. people are checking out of the political process in South Africa, which means that... You know, people will look for other ways to make their voice heard. Uh, mm. in, 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 a, in a democracy, the best way for politicians to listen to you is to make a change, uh, is to go to the ballot box. Mm. But I think a lot of people in South Africa feel that the, it's useless to go vote in whatever the case is. And that's why we see lots of protests around the country. People, lots mm. of people feel that the only way for the government to listen to them is if they do go protest, often mm. violently. Of course, one can't condone violent protests but often if that is the only way people feel they can be heard then you know we have to take that uh, on board and you know why, why do people feel that the only way they can uh, get the local council mayor whatever cases to listen to them is to go you know use violent tactics and burn down uh, you know uh, clinics and so on mm. and that is something we have to get to the bottom of and also mm. there's a um, uh, probably a lot of people will think I'm talking nonsense when I say this, but the ANC does actually react to electoral pressure. We've seen that when the party is under pressure, they actually do go and put decent people up as candidates. Uh, I think mm. a good example is Nelson Mandela Bay before 2016. The ANC saw that they were going to lose the majority there, and they got rid of the previous mayor. I can't remember his name at the moment, but they made the candidate Danny O'Donnell, the former, uh, mm. uh, he was head of SAFA in South Africa. And uh, Daniel O'Don, for all his faults and whatever, he, he is actually a good administrator. He mm-hmm. uh, helped run a very successful 2010 World Cup here in South Africa, the football World Cup. And in 2016, when the ANC saw they had a very good chance of losing the Nelson Mandela uh, Metro, they uh, appointed Daniel O'Don as their candidate. It was a bit too little too late. They still mm-hmm. lost the Metro to Athol Trollope in the DA. But it showed that they were prepared to put somebody who is a decent administrator, somebody who's a technocrat and can actually run a place, rather than just, you know, some. A loyal cater who they can just you know put put as kind of a figurehead as the mayor, or whatever the cases. Mm. I, mean, I think Hateng is also a good example. Uh, Dave Makura was uh, is obviously the premier in South Africa, and he's also a fairly capable person. He, you yes. know, he's uh, he's also a decent administrator. And in other provinces, they you know people get put in like Supra, Momo Pelo in yes. uh, Northwest, for example. Oh. I mean, pe- they also people had to have violent protests to get rid of Momo Pelo, even though it was clear that people in the province didn't want him as their premier, but. The ANC, I mean, their support in the, in Northwest is starting to drop, but there was always like a 70%, uh, province for them. But in mm-hmm. South Africa, in 2014, they only got, I'm sorry, not in South Africa, in Khateng, in 2014, they only got 53% of the vote. I think only 50% in 2019. So, is a very soft province for the ANC. But you can see they, they know that, and that's why they've appointed somebody as, like David Makura, as, uh, the Premier of Gateng. Somebody who's a fairly capable administrator, not just, you know, somebody is going to do whatever the Tule
1: House tells them to do. Mm. I wondered whether that sort of option of 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 uh, going on protests and, and 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 disruption isn't a feature of uh, the northwest, because I see that the Mafeking district is uh, has seventy percent ANC support, and that, as, as far as I remember, is the area that has the most political um, opposite You know, not opposition, but political strife within the ANC. Um, so it it, uh, it doesn't seem to have. Uh, it, it seems that it's still very much use support of the ANC. You may oppose the actual individuals concerned in other ways, but but the support is still same with the ANC, notwithstanding the mess that's been made there.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that one of the mysteries of South African politics uh, the ANC support uh, stayed so uh, stay fairly sticky over. Uh, the past couple of years, we've seen, I, th- I think what happens with a lot of ANC voters and probably it's anywhere else in the world. I mean, you can point to any number of countries where, you know, people, where an area will support a certain political party for generations. I think a good example is, say, the north of England in mm. um, with Labour. Mm. Uh, there, I mean, the, uh, up to 2019, where we saw the Tories for, for the first time win a large number of seats in the north of England. People in the north of England vote Labour. You know, they've been voting there for uh, for centuries.
1: Mm.
0: And that was, well not for centuries, but for a century. You know, mm. it's because their, their dad voted Labour and their dad and their granddad voted Labour mm. because he was in the minds and so on. And I think it's the same kind of thing. People vote for ANC just because of the ANC. And we saw this phenomenon under, uh, in, in, under national, in the, uh, under party, the national party. Mm. So, and I think what happens is people first, they decide not to vote, they'll sit out an election and then they'll change to a different party.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I agree with that. Maurice, um, I just want to look at the one municipality where I think they've gone that extra step, and that is from not voting to, to choosing different parties. And that is M. Fuleni, which I think I would pardon the um, e- expression, but I think has literally been in the shit for the last two years because it has had the most appalling difficulties in getting the right the water um, provision and reticulation and the dealing with sewerage. I mean, it's really been dreadful to the point at which the government two years ago called in the army, and for a year they worked at it and did nothing or achieved nothing. And uh, an engineer I saw quoted as saying that the army people just really didn't know what what to do. I mean, they, they were not skilled in, in in the issue, and so what they did was they dug a trench and allowed sewage to just flow straight into the vol- into one of the rivers feeding into the Vol. Now, interestingly, I see that in DA now has 41% of the vote and the ANC has 30.2% of the vote. It surely must have had been influenced by the fact that its neighbouring district, Midval, has 74.8% DA and 15% ANC. That is, that is something different.
0: well, I'm looking at the results now from the updated ones. I can see this with uh, nearly two thirds of the vote counted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DA is actually sitting at nearly 60%, 60% of the vote.
1: Oh really? Um, okay, so mine really there, old.
0: <laughs> yeah, and the ANC is sitting on a third. And, mm. uh, this, this will be a spectacular result if the DA manages to win a municipality in KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if, listeners don't know, Umgeni is, uh, that includes Nottingham Road and Howick and so, on. so a very, uh, beautiful part of the country. And uh, it's very sad that the municipality is, uh, being degraded like this. But I think this will be, a uh, uh very, uh, an amazing result if the DA manages to take uh, a municipality in KwaZulu-Natal. Uh, Open mm. um, to correction, but I'm fairly sure this will be the first time that the DA does win a municipality in KwaZulu-Natal. Yes. Uh, at the uh, two dates, it's only one out municipality municipalities in Western Cape, Eastern Cape, and Gauteng. I think so. It'll be the, uh, it'll be a, a, an amazing result. And uh, what's interesting is the IFP actually doesn't do too well in this municipality at the moment. So the, ANT, and the IFP is sitting on only one percent of the vote. So this is obviously people coming out to vote for the uh, DA. And if as I said, the DA is sitting on nearly six percent of the vote. This is it's an amazing result. And it shows that people, you know, it could be uh people who normally ANC votes have decided to turn out for the DA, or maybe it's I mean yeah, for the DA, or maybe it's you know, just a huge voter turnout for from traditional DA supporters, but it's definitely something to watch and it's uh you know something that shows there could be a sea change in Uh, in South African politics. Mm. I think it also shows what's happening in Mm. KwaZulu-Natal. KwaZulu-Natal went from being the ANC's second or third best province in 2014 to being its third worst province. The Mm. ANC only won 54% of the votes in uh, uh, KwaZulu-Natal in 2019. And I think that's to do with uh, obviously uh, former president Jacob Zuma no longer being leader of the ANC. I think he he, him being a Zulu, he drew a lot of Zulu support. Mm. And I think this is uh, could be show what's uh, happening in uh, Cosmintel, generally speaking. So uh, uh, I think Etta uh, Green will also be very interesting to look at. I'm just seeing that the first couple of results are coming from Etta It's very early days. Less than a percent of uh, 18 districts are uh, oh. reporting Etta But ANC sitting on 82%. So but I don't think people shouldn't worry yet. It's still very early days. A, mm. uh, less than 1% of uh, districts are reporting. So it's still early. But... Yeah, I think, uh, what's happening in, what's happening in Umagaini is, yeah, it's, uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, there's another, um, a municipality in, uh, Cosmopol where the DA is leading, that's Port Shepston, uh, mm-hmm. or Dray, New York, New municipality, that's, that includes Port Shepston and Margate, Ramsgate, and so on. The DA is sitting on 6% of the vote, the ANC on 30%. That's also very early
1: days,
0: 77% of, uh, uh, Reports from that area, so mm-hmm. that's uh not a. I think uh, um, gaining It looks like it's pretty much going to be a DA win if things hold as are. Port Gibson is a little bit uh, early to say, but I think uh, that's a spectacular result for the DA. And just every time mm-hmm. to keep watching. Mm.
1: No, I think I think absolutely. You, you know, given the fact that these are changes for the first time, I, I, I think I suspect what will likely happen is that it as as each election passes uh, these sort of changes will increase uh, obviously the the uh, performance of the new party in the in the uh, in the district will make a difference but it, it it will show people that there is something to be gained by n- just not sticking with the same old same old if you're not happy with it um funny Amaris, can i just get your sense overall of the um how the IEC has run this, uh, this election and particularly in light of all the, uh, of all the events that occurred around whether this election should be held now or should be held in, in February and the, and the court actions that went with it so that there was increased pressure of a decreased time that had to be dealt with.
0: Well, uh, from what I've seen, there's only anecdotal evidence, people on social media and a couple of news reports and so on that it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Some places, uh, things are quite efficient. Just my personal experience was, took me about half an hour to vote yesterday. The uh, IEC officials were very uh, friendly and efficient. You know, there was no problem with the ballot papers or, you know, registering your votes or whatever the cases. But then uh, I know a couple of my friends who voted in Benoni, they voted, that took over two hours to vote. And uh, the... Uh, there weren't that many election officials, uh, helping people, like only, you know, two people for the whole queue kind of thing to uh, show mm-hmm. people where to vote. And I've also seen other people on social media have seen, been saying that they the their, uh, voting station at say 9.30 yesterday morning and already, the uh, ballot papers had run out and so on. So, but then other places, as I, said, I, had, I had a good experience, I've read other people have had good experiences. So I think it's a bit early to say, but, it uh, does seem that uh, this election has been a bit uh, more poorly run than usual. Mm. And uh, uh, I'm not sure if it's uh, – the, the IEC said in May that it was ready to run this election. Then – and this was still – we knew we still had COVID. This was before, you know, a large proportion of South Africans had been vaccinated. And then suddenly a month later, the IEC said, no, suddenly they, they definitely mm. can't host this election. We have mm. to postpone it to February. Luckily, the Royal Constitutional Court made the correct decision and said this election has to, has to be held. And mm. it, it could, it could be held in uh, safely. I mean, voting, where you go vote is normally, a, a big area It's like either be a tent or a hall or whatever the case is. So it's easy social distance. When I got to my voting station yesterday, there was a sanitizer and so on. So I, I think um, it's a bit early to say, but I do think the IEC is going to have to have a hard look at itself and decide, you know, they have there, I think there have been some problems with the election. Let's hope that uh, overall it's uh, free and fair. Uh, at the moment there, there, there's been some anecdotal evidence of some, of some shenanigans, but these have been very few and far between from what I've seen. So I think at the moment it triggers the I see the benefit of that, and, you know, but also it's a bit early to say, but let's see what happens in the next couple of hours or next couple of days.
1: Okay. Marius, I have to thank you very, very much for coming on and uh, enlightening us. Uh, it is, a, it is a literally a moving target, so uh, uh, kudos to you for this, but I think we are more enlightened as a result and uh, hope to have you back uh, sooner rather than later on this.
0: Thanks, sir, and thanks for listening.
1: Cool. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. I think this really is going to be an interesting election in parts, and I think we must, must pay attention to the few districts that do change because you know, change is happens slowly and then suddenly. And I think this is the slowly we're having change. And uh, by twenty twenty four, when we look to the national and provincial election, we could be looking at uh, at fair amount of change, depending on how the municipalities do. I actually just want to return to for the for the final slot to the the topic of COP twenty six and just look at some of the the ironies that that have to be dealt with. Um, Go, to go back to China, the China's oil consumption is slated to double by 2040. And this follows deals that were signed in 2020 with Iran, Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia. So although China is the world's largest producer of electric vehicles, the additional oil will enable them to reduce the number, the number of cars fired by internal combustion engine, the current engine, to more than double to 400 million by 2040, That I think that uh, puts in perspective uh, COP's considerable limitations. And as one of my colleagues uh, probably a little sarcastically says, but this is a fact, um, China is into wind and solar in a very big way in the sense that 7 out of 10 of the world's top turbine manufacturers are Chinese, while China is also the world's largest manufacturer of solar panel components. And one of the problems with the components of both the, both forms of energy is they take a lot of uh, carbon, their footprint, their carbon footprint to produce is not inconsiderable. Also, they do have to be replaced because they do wear out. So the, the uh, rotors, the blades of uh, wind turbines do wear out, as do solar panels. And you have these large pieces of, of, um, of manufactured items that they don't degrade. Um, they can't, stuff can't easily be recycled from it. So what is the world going to do with, with defunct solar panels and wind turbines in the, in the long run? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a interesting question. And I think it's something that the, uh, And certainly the very excitable climate change lobby needs to get its head around. Um, And finally, one of the points is that uh, one of the great benefits of this was supposed to be green jobs uh, in moving from fossil fuels to renewables in wind and solar. Well, most of those jobs are going to developing countries, particularly China. And for those who people, particularly in America, in the oil industry, they would have to be retrained, not all of whom could be and the, the salaries would be lower so this is not going to be greeted with universal uh, applause so having said that we will have been through our election and its results by the end of by the end, in the next few days by the end of the week and uh, it'll it, it will be interesting as south africa always is thank you for joining us see you next week